Well, um, today you'll take your outlines and your Bible this morning. I want us to begin by reading our, our text. and It's a lengthy text, so I'm going to uh, just uh, let you remain seated. But follow along with me, if you will, in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We started this series last week. Well, we started this uh, topic last week, managing your, your mouth. I have to tell you something. Uh, I preached a lot of sermons, thousands of sermons through the years, and uh, I think I had more people come up to me last week after that message and say, Pastor, you just stomped all over my feet. Well, that was my intention, but I want you to know something. In order to get to yours, I had to trample all over my own, and that's especially true when you make your living with your mouth, and so I just want you to know this is one of those timely subjects, isn't it? It's one of those subjects that we need to hear about every so often because we need to be reminded of how deadly and dangerous our tongue is and how much control it demands. And I want to continue that this morning. I'm going to review for you in just a moment. I'll review for you quickly what we talked about last week. But then today I want to do something real practical. I want to give you some practical biblical counsel about how to manage your your mouth. Now some of you have told me that you attempted the experiment that I gave you or the project that I gave you last week to go 24 hours, remember, without saying something critical to someone else. And I'm not going to take a poll this morning. But I have heard from several people said, Pastor, that was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And so maybe you, maybe you managed to get through a couple of hours. Maybe you, you managed to get through 24 hours. I have had some folks say, I did it. <laughs> You know, and they were about to hyperventilate. Uh, but I've got another project for you at the end of this message. And uh, it's going to be good. And I think it is one that you can do actually easier than the other one. Now, now by the way, if you said, well, I, I blew it on the other experiment, you know, going 24 hours. Well, try again. In fact, why don't we just do, why don't we just say this is an ongoing project. That we're just going to try to be those people that know how to manage our mouth and what we say and how we say things to other people. Follow along with me in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at, the, uh, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. <coughs> Excuse me, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? 
Well, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, Lord, would you take your word again, as you're so good to do, and open it to our hearts and to our minds. And Father, would you challenge us and would you convict us? And God, would you change us with it? Don't just give us information, Father. Give us transformation. Use your word in our hearts today in a powerful way. And for any that are listening to my voice by any medium, Father, I pray that you would take your word now and with your Holy Spirit make it useful to change us. Father, would you use my words? Would you take my thoughts and all of my study? Would you put it together, Father, and use it with your Holy Spirit and your word for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? Well, what you might call the passage we just read is James's Sermon on the Mouth, because that's really what it is. Did you know the average man speaks enough words in one year to fill 66 books that are 800 pages in length? He speaks 20,000 words a day. A man speaks 20,000 words a day. The average woman... I haven't said anything. (laughs) 30,000 a day. These are true statistics. By the way, ladies, when you want to talk, when your husband has come home, and husbands remember this, and you come home, ladies, by the time his day is at an end, he's used all his words up. And men, she still has 10,000 left. (laughs) But we're a nation of talkers, aren't we? Talk shows on TV, talk shows on the radio, car phones. And by the way, welcome to those who are watching us on uh, our media platforms and those who are listening to us on radio. But we like to talk. Today, 55, listen to this, 55 million Americans will listen to over 400,000 pastors deliver over 1 billion words. And when it's all said and done, there will be a lot more said than done. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 3, He who guards his mouth controls himself, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You see, the Bible teaches, and James in particular, as we've been looking these two weeks, teaches us that self-control means controlling the tongue. By the way, the book of Proverbs is rich with verses about our words There are over 120 verses in Proverbs related to different things about our talk, our language, our speech. Now, last week we looked at some of the characteristics of the tongue that James gives us in the passage that we just read. I want to quickly review them. They're on your outline there. We talked about the teacher's tongue and the responsibility that goes with the teacher's tongue. And you recall that I told you, don't say, well, I'm glad I'm not a Bible teacher. You're all Bible teachers we just have different platforms in which we, we teach. The teacher's tongue. He said, uh, also, there's the tripping tongue, you know, the one that uh, gets out of control and causes uh, you to stumble. There's the troubled tongue. And he says the source of the tongue is from hell. That's why it's so problematic. There's a spiritual war going on with your mouth. And the devil wants to control it. The Spirit of God wants to control it. We talked about the tameless tongue. How powerful the tongue. It's small, 
but it's incredibly powerful. We've tamed everything else in our world, the, James says, but we can't seem to tame the tongue. And then we talked about the terminal tongue because it's deadly. It's full of deadly poison and how much damage can be done. And then we concluded by talking about the twisted tongue. The tongue can be so dysfunctional. He says, with this tongue, you bless God and you curse your brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. It is twisted. It is dysfunctional. And with that as backdrop, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you just some practical biblical counsel on how you can manage your mouth. I want to show you several things this morning that you can record on your outline. Number one, how do you manage your mouth then based on what James says and what he's taught us about the tongue? Well, first of all, you have to let God guard the door of your lips. Let God guard the door of your lips. Listen to what Psalm 141 and verse 3 says. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And you know how you do that. You ask God to set a guard there. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's praying, God, you do for me what I can't seem to do for myself. Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Uh, God, uh, guard the doorway of my lips. I read about a golfer. He had a terrible day on the golf course. And on the last hole, he just couldn't stand it any longer, and he threw a tantrum. He began cursing and swearing and beating the ground with his golf club. Finally, recovering himself, he looked woefully at the caddy that had been assigned to him, and he muttered, well, I guess I'll have to give it up. Give up golf, the caddy asked him, and he said, no, not golf, he said sorrowfully, the ministry. You see, the tongue is so powerful, and it's so subtle that if we don't have supernatural help in controlling it, it will take us to ruin. The psalmist prayed for divine help. You can't do this on your own. You can't do it on your own. But, and you remember last week we talked about the tameless tongue, and we said that no man can tame the tongue. But James didn't say that God can't tame the tongue. He said, you can't tame your tongue. God can tame it. That's why the psalmist prays and says, God, would you guard my mouth? God, would you, would you put a, a lock on the door of my lips? Early this morning, I was praying. I said, God, guard my mouth. It's a dangerous thing when you do this because there's always the possibility that something comes out that was in the flesh and not in the spirit. God, guard my mouth. I prayed that early. God, I'm talking about the mouth. Guard my mouth, Lord. God, put a, a watch over it. Let it say what you want it to say. And you know, you say, well, that's a good thing. That's a good rule for a preacher. That's a good rule for all of us. Every day, Lord, would you put a guard over my mouth? Because God, if you don't, I'm going to say 10 stupid things before the day's out. God, guard my mouth. God, put, put a lock on the, the door of my lips. You can't tame it. You can't do it apart from God's help. And James doesn't indicate that we can. But he does say, did you notice that he said 
that you can bridle the tongue? He said you can bridle the tongue. Or you can discipline your tongue. And so that's the second thing I want you to see. So we must, with God's help, learn to, number two, discipline our tongues. James, again, in verse 26 of uh, chapter 1, if you'll look back over there with me, you'll see he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not, here it is, bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James equates an undisciplined tongue to immature spirituality to a worthless kind of faith but notice that he says if anyone does not bridle his tongue meaning what class that it can be disciplined it can be bridled some of the most powerful things on earth are things you can't even see James says your tongue is like those kinds of things I got to thinking about small things and I thought about viruses we're well aware of viruses these days aren't we and a virus, it comes, the word comes actually from the Latin word meaning toxin or poison. And that's what James calls the tongue, doesn't he? He says it's a deadly poison. A virus is a small infectious agent that can only replicate inside cells of other organisms. Viruses are too small to be seen with the average microscope. They have to have high-powered electron microscopes to even see a virus in a cell. But here's what we know, if the virus is not contained, they can spread rapidly and they can bring massive devastation. For example, in the 1300s, there was what we call the Black Death. It's also known as the bubonic plague. It was a virus that was carried along by fleas and rats and it killed over 100 million people in Europe in the 1300s. Uh, it was powerful enough to kill most of its victims in four to seven days. And it it, we're told that it took Europe's population more than 150 years to recover. Then there's anthrax, small thing, microscopic bacteria spores that are ingested into the lungs or the skin. We've heard about those incidences, and there were some threats a few years ago that appeared originally to be terroristic and and just uh, the small white powder and spores uh, multiply rapidly inside healthy cells. But listen to this, just one anthrax spore is enough to kill a human. Just one spore, and you can't see it. And then, of course, we're well acquainted with SARS, COVID. COVID is a SARS virus, if you didn't know that. We heard some years before about SARS, the outbreak of SARS, which is just a severe acute respiratory syndrome is what that is. Well, that's what COVID is. COVID is a, a SARS virus. And the CDC tells us that as of th just this past September, more than 697,320 people have been infected with more than 1,150,000 people having died from COVID worldwide. A small thing, a virus is, isn't it? It's just a little thing. You can't see it, but it does incredible damage. And when it comes to preventing that damage, containment is essential. We've learned we're all smarter about these kinds of things, aren't we? About how to prevent and hold off and keep at bay these things. Containment is essential. Well, likewise, here's what James uh, is making the point. The tongue is a small thing, 
It's extremely powerful. It is destructive. He even says it's deadly. And that's why, like a virus, it must be contained. That's why it has to be disciplined. And so James teaches us that the disciplined tongue reflects a mature believer. He said if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a perfect woman. Now, I think I told you last week that word there in the Greek doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. It means perfect as in mature. A person that is mature and maturing spiritually. They've learned uh, what to say and what not to say and when to say and when not to say. It is an indicator of spiritual maturity. I like what President Calvin Coolidge once said. He said, I've noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. Did you get, get that? I've noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. How true it is. And so we must learn to discipline our tongues. And then third, we must learn to speak words that you can digest. Now stay with me here. You need to to, to speak words that you can digest. If you go to Proverbs 18, verse 20, Solomon writes and says, With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Have you ever heard this statement? Well, he had to eat his own words. Or she had to eat his own words. Or have you ever heard this statement? He had to eat crow. <clears throat> I think I know about that. I've eaten a lot of crow in my life. Have you? I have eaten a lot of words. And what Solomon is saying to us, all of us are going to have to eat our words at times so make sure that the words that you eat are satisfying words and not a bitter pill that you have to swallow. That's what he's saying to us. Sadly today, too many of our words are coarse. Coarseness and profanity have become a norm for many. And listen, including Christians. Many Christians, their language is coarse and profane. And James is teaching us that an immature tongue will reveal itself often through these kinds of things. Coarse language, uh, for example. Perverse joking. Cr critical comments. Mean-spirited accusations. Words of profanity. According to an AP Ipsos poll that was taken a few years back, the use of profanity in American culture is increasing. According to this poll, nearly 75% of people that were surveyed said that they encounter profanity in public either frequently or occasionally. Further, the respondents were more than just hearers of the words. 64% of those they surveyed said that they used the F word, ranging from several times a day to just a few times a year. In addition, the survey found that younger people admit to using bad language 
more often than older people. They also encounter it more frequently and are less offended by it. We know how acceptable, tragically, this has become. Turn on just about any media and you're going to hear things that your ears shouldn't hear. And it's just become accepted. It has just become the norm. Some years ago, I was on a flight headed back from the west, out west. I'd been speaking out there, and, and so I took my seat. A man was already seated next to me, and, uh, and uh, he, had, um, he had several of these little bottles he had already uh, drank. And he was talking about a variety of things and using uh, curse words, and in particular, the name of God in vain. I think you know what that means. And uh, he was complaining about things and about the boarding process and blankety blank this and blankety blank that. And, and so we sit there, and I didn't say anything. I just said hello when I sat down, and he continued this. Even after we'd taken off and we were flying, and he continued just this uh, horrible language, everything he was talking about. And uh, finally, he... Uh, he looked at me and he said, by the way, what do you do? <laughs> God does have a sense of humor. And I'd about had my belly full anyway. You should have seen his face when I told him I was a pastor. Um, he immediately started apologizing for his language. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize you were pastor. I, I didn't know. I, I'm sorry about my language. And uh, on a, That tells you right there he knew he shouldn't have been saying it. And he said, I'm sorry about my language. And then he told me, he, <laughs> you're going to love this. Then he said, <clears throat> you know, he said, um, I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. And he said, uh, I, have a, I go to church regularly there, and he's trying to dig out of this hole. And he says, I go to church regularly there. I'll be going this week. And he said, in fact, he said, I'm a deacon. <laughs> I didn't say what I wanted to say, but I will tell you what I did say. I kindly and gently told him, it's all right. I said... <laughs> You know, I'm really not the one you need to apologize to. I said, if you can say without regret the name of God in vain as you have, then I'm not the person that you need to be concerned about. You need to be more concerned about the one whose name you've taken in vain, what he thinks about it. His response was, yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that. We didn't have much conversation the rest of the flight. But here's something for you to do before you say something you shouldn't say. Ask yourself, if Jesus were standing here with me in this conversation, would I use these words around him? Now that's true in your home. It's true in your workplace. It's true in your community. It's true when you're around somebody you're trying to impress. Ask yourself, 
if Jesus were in this conversation, would I use the words that I normally would use? And let me tell you something. He is around. He is there. He's there in your workplace. Look, I'm not trying to beat you up. Look, I have to walk this same road. But I will tell you this. There are a lot of our words that have caused people to say, if that's what being a Christian is all about, I don't need that. I can talk like that anywhere. What did Jesus do for them that I need? I'll tell you something else while I'm picking on things. You be careful when you laugh at perverse jokes. Because when you laugh at a joke, it's like saying, I get it, I like it, I agree. Now, I'm not telling you to become a Pharisee with people. But I want to tell you something. They'll stop telling those kind of jokes around you. And by the way, if you don't respond with similar language, they'll stop using that language around you. Or you'll, you'll watch them start apologizing when they say something. Oops, oops. Now, I'm not trying to get people to apologize. Look, my, my thing is, if you can say it before God, you can say it in front of me, though I prefer not to listen. What kind of message does it send? You don't have to say, that's horrible. Why don't you just leave? You can walk away. And then, listen, you don't need that stuff coming in your ears anyway. There's enough garbage out there. Don't fill your brain with any more of it that you don't have to be to. So, so controlling your tongue means only use words that you can swallow and be okay with. You know what? I can swallow that and I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? Y'all okay? If you're not, I'm going to keep going on number three. <laughs> All right, number four, be deliberate before you speak. Deliberate before you speak. Proverbs 16, 23 says this, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Be deliberate before you, you speak. Engage your mind before you engage your mouth. Let your mind be renewed with the truth so that you do not say something that you will regret later on. Be deliberate. That's why, by the way, the tongue is spoken a lot about in the Bible, but you know what? The mind is spoken about a lot. Remember what Jesus said. Why is that? Because what comes out of your mouth is what is coming out of the inside of you. Now, if you're going to transform the inside of you, you're going to have to be renewed by the transformation of your mind, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, one and two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we have the mind of Christ, he writes in Corinthians. And so before you, your mind engages, um, your mouth engages, make sure you deliberate in your mind and make sure your mind has been taken captive by the Word of God. By the Word of God. You know what this is all called? It's called Mind over mouth. Before you engage, before you speak, 
think, deliberate. And you can think right if you've got a right-thinking mind that has been transformed by the truth of God. Lou Gehrig, you know about Lou Gehrig, don't you? The great baseball player. And he was hired by a breakfast cereal company to promote a cereal at that time that was called Huskies. And so he was going to be their spokesman. And he was doing a live radio interview uh, during that time. And there was a set-up question to ask him what he attributed his great strength and stamina in baseball to. And the answer was to be Huskies. Huskies. But he was so programmed that when they asked him, said, what do you attribute your great strength and stamina to, Mr. Gehrig? He quickly, before he thought and realized what he was supposed to say, he said, Wheaties. (laughs) I don't know how contracts worked back then, but I suspect Huskies said, we don't need this guy. Proverbs 20, 25 says, it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later consider his vows. Winston Churchill, you know I love Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill exemplified integrity and respect in the face of opposition. History shows it. And during his last year in office, uh, he attended an official ceremony And at that ceremony, uh, several rows behind him, there were two gentlemen who began whispering. And have you ever been in one of those kind of environments when it's loud whispering? And these uh, couple of gentlemen were whispering, and, and one of them said, that's Winston Churchill. And the other one said, they say he's getting senile. They say he should step aside And leave the running of the nation to more dynamic and capable men. When the ceremony was over, Churchill turned to the men behind him and said, Oh, by the way, gentlemen, they also say he is deaf. (laughs) Remember that the critical... And hurtful things that you say may come back to haunt you. Getting a grip on your tongue, listen, means you're going to have to let God get a grip on your life and your mind. You want to manage your mouth, you're going to have to get a grip on your tongue by letting God get a grip on your your life and your mind. And then, finally... The fifth thing that I would tell you if you want to manage your mouth is to dispense encouragement with your mouth. This is a good one. I say this one to last because it's the, it's the encourager. It's the positive way to use your mouth. Because we, what we've really talked about, we all identify with the negative use of our tongue, right? I mean, that's a really kind of a no-brainer. I've told you for years, nobody has to tell me how to do the wrong thing. I don't have to have a coach for that. It comes naturally. What I have to have is a coach to help me see the wrong stuff. That's the Spirit of God. And then correct my course. That's the Word of God. The Spirit of God convicts me. The Word of God directs me. And, um, but the Word of God also gives us help, doesn't it? Aren't you glad it doesn't just say, here's your problem, here's your problem, here's your problem, here's your problem. Good luck. But it doesn't do that. 
the Bible says here's the problem. Here's what you do about it. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that we should use our mouth and manage our mouths to dispense encouragement. There are a couple of great passages. Ephesians 4, 29, I learned this when I was a teacher, uh, teenager, let no corrupt, it's actually the way I learned it, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the edification of the believer that it may minister grace to others. In the ESV, which I preach from, it says, let no corrupting talk, I like that, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word makes him glad. It's true, isn't it? By the way, let me just say a word of thanks to many of you. This, over the last month, uh, I've received so many cards. Uh, thank you so much. Kind cards, kind words. I can't even respond to all of you. I just want you to know, thank you. Look, a good word makes a person glad. A good word does wonders is what the Bible says. I'll show you that in a minute. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, our words are to be seasoned. They're to be seasoned. And Paul writes in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm afraid today that because of so much media coming into our lives, that our mouths have been programmed to reflect the language and the thoughts and the ideas of the world rather than the truth and ideas that come to us from God's Word. You see, you're going to be programmed, and whatever programs this goes here, and then it comes out here. And so you're going to be programmed, so that's why it's so important to be programmed by the right thing. If you're programmed by all this stuff that you, you the media, the, the social platforms and all of that, and we use that, there's a positive way to use those things, but if you're not careful, there's so much garbage, and that garbage will subtly get inside of you. It'll program your brain. It'll program your mind. It'll turn deep inside of you. It'll become you, and you don't even realize it. God's Word is the source that must program our hearts and minds. And if there are any two things in our lives that need to be renewed by God's Word, it's our minds, as I've already said in Romans 12, he talks about, and our mouths, our minds and our mouth. If you can reprogram something, start there. I'm going to reprogram my mind so that will change my heart and reprogram my mouth. Paul writes in Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now you say, well, no, isn't salt, a, isn't that, you know, he's a salty person. Not in this case. He means salt that adds flavor, that does something good. And as I said earlier, Proverbs 12, 25 says, a word of encouragement does wonders. It makes a man glad. Would you agree with that? You would, wouldn't you? I mean, you can go a long way on a compliment, can't you? You can go a long way on an encouragement. By the way, let me just say this. And when somebody says something unkind and unfair, don't go a long way on that. The devil will sometimes, he'll, you, you know, they tell us today that it takes 20 positive comments to overpower one negative comment. 
And you know that's true in your life. Somebody can say one thing, the rest of the world can say all these other good things, and one thing will just eat away at you. Listen, the devil knows that. And so, uh, uh, look, let those go. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Um, I'm I'm surprised I said, I, I can't believe I said that. That's just not like me. Well, the fact is, yes, it is. It's exactly like you. Where in the world did it come from? It came from your heart. The things that come out of your mouth come out of your heart. The problem is not my tongue. The problem is my heart. And my heart has been affected by what I put into my mind. I say hurtful things sometimes because I need to have a heart that's been transformed. You say, well, that's, kind of, that's me, Pastor. That's where I am. Well, I've got news for you today. God specializes in heart transplants. It's his specialty. It's what Jesus died for. Okay, now, I told you I had another project for you, and I'm going to get to that here in just a second. But you're going to encounter a lot of people in this coming week. Uh, and most of them you probably won't even know or know well. I don't want to tell you something about those people. Many of those people are having a tough time. You don't know that, and they probably aren't going to tell you that. There's so many people hurting people, aren't there? There's so many hurting people around us. And come across our path. There, there are people sitting around you today that are hurting. They're hurting in ways that you probably aren't aware, and they'll probably never tell you. They're, they're hurting in different areas. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to... I want you to practice being an encourager. I I want you to practice being an encourager this week. And so here's your project. Here's your assignment, if you will, this week. Uh, Everybody you come in contact with this week, make it your goal to build them up. I'm going to build them up. Don't tear them down. Build them up. Say a word of encouragement to them. Let Ephesians 4.29 kind of guide you. Uh, Let no corrupting communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of building up, edifying, that it may minister God's grace to the hearer. I want that to be your assignment. Don't tear them down. Say a word of encouragement. Don't give them a put down. Build them up. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't lie. By the way, don't lie to somebody because they'll know you're lying. I I mean, uh, oh, I've never... That's the, oh, that's the most beautiful hairdo I think I've ever seen. You know, I mean, if you're going to do something like that, just say, you know, that's an interesting hairdo. I, you, you got it. Don't lie to people. Don't make up something. Most of us know when somebody's overplaying the truth, right? But find ways that you can speak a good word, a kind word. Sometimes it's just a kind word. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? You know, God loves you. Amazing. Some people, amazing what it would do for some people just to hear God loves me. Because there's some people around you that think nobody loves them. God cares about you. I do too. What can I pray for you? Find something encouraging. It doesn't even, look, okay, now listen. You say, well, that sounds like preacher stuff there. Well, it is kind of preacher. It's Christian stuff, what I just said. But it doesn't have to have something spiritual. It doesn't have a verse. It doesn't have to have a verse attached to it. (laughs) 
if <clears throat> be an encourager. Now, some people do this naturally. They have the gift of encouragement. And you know, let me tell you how you know those people have the because you just feel better when you're around them. They just have the gift of encouragement. It's a spiritual gift. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He had the gift of encouragement. Some people just have it. But you say, I don't. I'm off the hook. (laughs) No, you're not. Because you have the Spirit of God in you. And the greatest encourager, if the gifts of the Spirit come from the Spirit, the greatest encourager of all is the Spirit of God. And because you don't have the gift of encouragement doesn't mean you're exempt. I know some people have the gift of irritation. You don't, you, you just say, Lord, help me to see other people the way you see them. Help me to recognize how I can encourage people. And so your project this week, and, and, and listen, then why don't you say, let's try to make this a habit. So I'm going to become a, an encourager instead of a discourager. You know what discouragers are like too, right? There are some people you see coming and you head in another direction. Because you know you don't want to ask them, how you doing? Because you're going to be depressed out of your head when you walk away. Now, be an encourager. Say a word of encouragement. Don't put down. Speak truth. But do it in love. Remember the scripture I shared with you? I, an encouraging word does wonders. But let me also close by saying something. There's some of you listening to me by media, streaming, TV, radio, in this live audience. And you've been wounded by words. There's a, there's a cut in you because of words that were spoken to you at some point in time in your life. Um, and those words had a, they had a negative impact on your life. They may not have been true, but you believed them to be true. You took them to heart. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a parent who said, uh, Something like this, you're an accident. We didn't mean to have you. Parents have said that to children at times, not meaning maliciously anything by that, almost jokingly, but a child has taken it to heart and thought, I've, they didn't really want me. Maybe, maybe a parent told you something like, you'll never amount to anything. All you are is trouble, constant trouble. And you believe that, and so guess what you became? You became trouble. Maybe it was a colleague that you have worked with, and they've said something harsh or something that wasn't true, and maybe you even laughed at it. Ha, 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 yeah, ha, ha, But inside, it was like a knife. And the devil has used that in you. And you've believed that. It may have been unintentional, and yet you believed it. Whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, didn't know what they were talking about, did they? 
Do you know the Bible says in Revelation, this is a great thing. It says in those last days, there will be those who are martyred for the faith. But it says this, but they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is my confession. This is what I believe. This is how I live. I live by what God says. If you've been wounded and you've let it affect your heart, your mind, and even your soul, if that's you, don't be a victim to words any longer. I don't care how long it's been, how how many years that you've dealt with it. Don't be a victim any longer to the power of hurtful words. Let them go by listening to what God says about you and be set free. Jesus said this to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, why? Because this book is going to tell you the truth about you. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now listen, and you will know the truth, the truth about you. What does God say about me? Not what does everybody else say, not what have other people said about me. What does God say about me? You will know the truth, and listen, listen, and the truth will set you free so you don't have to live as a slave to those hurtful words that somebody used in your heart, in your life, and that the devil has continued to make you a captive to all of your life. Don't believe it any longer. That's why be renewed by the transformation of your mind with what God says about you and get free. Jesus died so that you could know the truth and be set free forever. Mm. Isn't that good? And that's what Jesus wants you to know about his words about you. Would you pray with me? Father, we know how destructive our tongues can be. We know that, Lord. Your word reaffirms it, but it only reminds us of what we already know. But Lord, what we we seem to forget are the words you've spoken about us, the good words, how much you love us, how you created us with purpose. Father, I pray for any that are listening to me today who have been taken captive by lies, by words that have hurt and cut. Father, I pray that today they'll recognize that those words are not your words. Your words bring with them healing, healing and freedom, the truth. Lord, let us get our messages from you and not from those around us. Father, I pray for those then who've been wounded, that today they'll give that wound to you and start believing what you say is true. For those, Father, who have never trusted you, 
I pray that they'll use their words this morning from their heart to call upon you. To cry out and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I confess I am a sinner. Those are my words. I confess that I need you. And right now I call upon you with my words. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And be my Savior forever. Thank you that I know you hear that. There are others, Father, and perhaps you've convicted them of how carelessly they've used their words. And Father, would you speak into their heart a new way, a way of encouragement, a way to build up and not tear down. And Father, I pray that even in this coming week, you'll help our eyes to see those who need a word of encouragement and to be encouragers. Lord, would you set a guard over our mouth and would you seal up the door of our lips? Thank you, God, that though we can't tame it, your Spirit can. Help us walk in the power of the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh and we'll thank you and praise you in word and deed in Jesus name amen would you stand with me for our time of invitation I'll be here at the front I would invite you to slip out from balcony or ground floor those of you who are watching by live stream and television there'll be information on your screen of how you can make the same decisions that people here will make We'd love to help you with that. Just follow those instructions. You can use in this live audience, there's a tear-off panel, and you can record decisions that you need to make, and we'll, we'll take care of it, take it to the Welcome Center, drop it in the baskets. We'll follow up with that with you. Um, but I want to invite you to the altar. I want to invite you to come. If you've never trusted Christ and say, Pastor, I've never trusted Christ, or I'm not sure I've trusted Christ. And we'll help you with that decision right now in this moment. Maybe you're here and say, I need a church home, and I want Ridgecrest to be that church home. And so you come and say, Pastor, I want to join Ridgecrest. Take one of these staff members on the aisle. I want to join Ridgecrest. We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. And then, of course, this altar. Don't miss the opportunity to bow the knee and use the tongue to talk with God. You ready? As Brother Aaron leads us.